All right, finally, we're ready to go. Mark chapter, Mark, (laughs) Micah chapter 4 now. We've been working our way uh, by intent, trying to get through Micah in one class meeting. This is the third. (laughs) But the problem was, in part, that we did Micah uh, 1 and 2 uh, before I left for India, when I came back, I felt like it was long enough, probably needed some reminder. Um, so <clears throat> we've, we've gone back through now Micah 1 to 3, and we're ready for chapters 4 to 7. So the goal of this is just to get us off Isaiah for a while, give us a little break from Isaiah. I told Jan yesterday, I think um, the next section in Isaiah is 24 to 27, I think what I want to do after that is take two or three weeks and talk about two or three attributes of God. Uh, And after what um, Steve talked about this morning, that would be a a good thing. So, um, folks, one of the most exciting studies you will ever do is the attributes of God. I just urge you to get into that, and a good place to start is knowing God by John Stott, so, um, J. Packer, I'm sorry, yeah, I, they both start with J, so what's the point, but um, the, uh, uh, so that's an awfully good book, but I think maybe uh, we'll do 24 to 27, take two or three weeks off, then the next section is 28 to 35, and that'll be a long one. Uh, so then we'll take a break, and then we'll do 36 to 39 and take a break. Does this make sense to you? So it'll be 2022? <clears throat> yeah, likely. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, say what? Can we skip to 40? Skip to 40? Yeah, well, the, uh, some of this, pardon? Dessert first, yeah, that's right. If... <laughs> we'll never get back. Uh, the Lord will come before I get finished with that. So, uh, so Isaiah, Micah chapter 4, uh, in our outline, this section is a fascinating section. I, when I first read it with understanding, I read it many times without understanding, but when I first realized what was going on in this passage, I was just turned inside out. This is one of the more exciting passages in the book of of Micah. Uh, As you see there, in the last days, the Lord will reverse his and the nation's plans, um, uh, restoring Israel in his mysterious way when Israel will commit herself to follow him. So that when is not a conditional, a a temporal conditional statement. It is the result of what's going to happen. Uh, So we start then with uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. This is quoted from Isaiah. Uh, So it's an interesting passage in that regard. So uh, uh, Micah 4, 1, it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. I want you to remember that Micah is addressed to the nations. All right? Judgment must come to Jerusalem 
to Judah because of its sin, but that judgment must go out to the nations too. But then once God saves Judah, he will also save the nations. Fred? It, it's possible. Yeah, possible. I, I, you know, how do you know? Uh, we're not even sure exactly the dates for Micah, except he is apparently functioning when Hezekiah is king. But it's hard to know much about it. So, uh, but the the point is that that this is an, a book addressed to the nations, and it and it climaxes with a message to the nations. The nations must take seriously the saving work of God for Israel, the judging work of God for Israel. They must take it seriously. If he's going to judge his people, then he's going to judge the nations. And when he judges the nations, that will finally be the signal for the salvation of his people. Are you with me here? Um, And thus, we may add, also for the salvation of the nations. So, a book like Micah would be a source from which um, Paul could have picked up the notion, although there are many other places where he could have gotten the idea, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Does that make sense to you? So um, Israel, in, in Romans 11, uh, well, Fred opened the door. So Romans 11, yes, uh, God is going to judge Israel then that means he will judge the nations. But he's going to save Israel. And that means he's going to save the nations. Does this make sense to you? Um, So all of this is tied up together in this passage. So uh, verse uh, uh, 3, he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Then they will uh, hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree with no one to make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. And then there is a kind of meditation on this promise. Though all the peoples walk each in the name of his God, as for us, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. That phrase each one under his own vine and under his own fig tree, came home powerfully to me one time in in, uh, Israel. We were in the East Bank, uh, in the uh, West Bank area, driving through, and there you can tell the difference between Israeli houses and uh, uh, Palestinian houses because the Israeli houses are European. They have pitched roofs because, you you know, in Israel, you get so much snow, you want the snow to (laughs) run off, right? (laughs) but uh, the Palestinians have flat roofs just as they have had for century upon century upon century. And so, so uh, we saw a house with vines growing up the side of the house and a big trellis on top. The, the, the top of the house, the roof, is your living room. Okay? And, and, it's, and it's your sleeping area in hot weather. So there's a trellis that goes up and over, the, over the, the roof of the house, and the vine grew up all over the, the roof, and there were, there were uh, grape, grape bunches 
there. You could just, you know, instead of having to go to the grocery store or go to the refrigerator at, at commercial time, you just reach up and grab a bunch of grapes and start eating. Uh, so the imagery here, God is promising in after the message of judgment for Judah, he's promising deliverance for Judah, judgment for the nations, and subjection of the nations to himself through Israel. Are, are you with me here? This, this sounds so contrary to us, and yet, in a way, it sounds contrary. It's going to get stranger as we go. Let's move on to verse 6. I've got to fix all this stuff. In verses 6 and following, or 6 and 7, you have a, a kind of, again, a, a meditation on all this. But 6 starts the first of several passages that are going to take us all the way to the end of chapter 5. Uh, and, and here is this surprising, mysterious work of God. What does God's saving work look like? Well, it looks like the cross. Yes, but not in Micah. Are you with me here? Yes? All right. So the first of these begins in six, uh, in 4-6. Uh, in that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather the outcasts, even those whom I have afflicted. God has afflicted Judah. So now he turns to the salvation work that he's going to do for the people of Israel. These people whom I have afflicted, and I will make the lame a remnant, and the outcasts a strong nation. What is it? What good is it to have physical limitation? I don't know. But this is the way God brings salvation. When this fellow in Overcomers, his name is Thomas, uh, he's he. he uh, lived a dissolute life and the Lord he, he developed um, diabetes and he's gone blind and the way the Lord turned him back was taking away everything from him are you with me here um, and that that terrible result turned out to be the thing that, that led to his spiritual vitality and it's going to be the same for Israel so I will make the lame a remnant and the outcasts a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion. If I were a king and I conquered a new territory and I wanted to set up a government there, I would find the most qualified people. I would find the people who are honored, valued by the community, yes, put them in power uh, as long as they would swear allegiance to me. That's who I would put over all this, not God. He takes the outcast. He takes the lame. And makes them rulers. Can we, can we assume that remnant here means saved? Uh, that's where it's yeah. That's where it's going. There's a whole concept, a theme of the remnant in uh, the prophets, especially beginning in Isaiah. And so this is part of that remnant theme. These are the people whom God has reserved for Himself. Then Mount Zion would be Jerusalem. Well, yeah, um, but it's Zion can stand for the whole people of Israel. Not just a place, but the whole people of Israel. So it depends on what the context uh, where you see it. He will raise, a, verse 4, he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain because 
At that time, he will be great to the ends of the world, of the earth. This one will be our peace. So God himself will establish his reign through the remnant of the lame and the outcast. Does this make sense? That doesn't seem like the way anybody else would set up a kingdom. It's the way God sets up a kingdom. Verses... Um, but he, he really had no choice, does he? Well, he could God, do God he could man. he could do it any he could he could do it any way he wants. But he's going to show his goal, brothers and sisters. God's goal, I think, among many other ways of saying it, here's one slice of how to say what God's goal is in, in all of his work on the earth is to show that we have no hope except by the grace of God. So he takes away everything that gives us strength, everything that gives us security, everything that gives us confidence, everything that gives us hope, takes away everything, leaves us with himself, and that isn't depriving us of anything. It's turning us back to the only one who is hope anyway. Yes, sir. So as I sit and ponder the whole concept of the lame yeah. and the outcast yes. being put in charge from our my human perspective, I think of the weaknesses that they have, mm-hmm. but I'm curious, the other side of that is that, aren't we told throughout Scripture that they are the ones that have the stronger faith? No, we're not, but uh, they're the ones who can have stronger faith. Paul talks about this in Second Corinthians, uh, when I am weak, then I'm strong. Right. right. But do, does that have any bearing on their not directly it's it's that god has has taken all the props out from under them and has turned them to himself there are people who are weak and powerless who who turn to money they turn to employers they turn to everything but never to the lord so it's not merely a matter of being weak it's that the lord has done this uh, there's a hand in the back yes ma'am Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Linda. I was just going to say in the same vein that seems God can use humility mm-hmm. in people. Yeah, yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26. Uh, consider your calling, brothers, that there are not many powerful, not many wise, not many well-born. It doesn't say not any. So even among the wise, the powerful, and the well-born, God can bring about, and this is part of his grace. The whole point, I say the whole point, again, one slice of saying God's goal in what he's doing is to glorify himself. That's true of everything that he does. So what about this world, this specific way that he's organizing his rule in this specific creation? What is this, what is this point? Folks, he's revealing grace. He couldn't reveal grace any other way. See, I can't I can't really understand what Paul means when he prays for the churches. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he pray grace for the church? We already have grace because what we have not often understood, especially in the West, is (laughs) that I really can't even serve God apart from grace. Uh, Paul talks about in Romans 
Fred opened the door. Romans 1, <laughs> he, he talks in Romans 1 that he says, I have received this grace and apostleship. Your text may read. Uh, there's a, probably a rhetorical device there that I won't go into in detail, but the grace of being an apostle. Uh, Paul's own ministry is simply the grace of God at work in him. Are, are you with me here? And that's the case with every one of us. What we have not understood is that my qualifications, my background, my training, my natural abilities are not the grace of God inherently. They may become, you may use that, but that's not inherently the grace of God in us. It has to be that I, I have to learn how weak and, and incapable I am. And in that, I can become strong. So I, I, we're, not, we're spending too much time on this. Let me go on. Second remarkable, uh, shocking reversal. Verse 9. Um, uh, well, as for you, tower of flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it will come. Even the former dominion will come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, why do you cry out loudly, is there no king among you? Or has your counselor perished, that agony has gripped you like a woman in childbirth? Writhe in labor to give birth, daughter of Zion. Daughter of Zion is the people who, whose mother is Zion. Uh, like a woman in childbirth, for now you will go out of the city. What does it mean to go out of the city, as far as we've read? Outcast. No. The city's the place of protection. They're going out of the city, going where? Into captivity. Um, like a woman in childbirth, for now you will go out of the city, dwell in the field, and go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. Babylon is the place of deliverance. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Shocking reversals. Hmm? Yeah. Um, but I want you to remember that the book of Revelation asserts that Babylon's coming back. Uh, now, the commentaries all tell us it's Rome. Because B-A-B-Y-L-O-N spells Rome. <laughs> yes? Right. It, uh, <laughs> uh, verse 11. Uh, 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 10 to 13. A third shocking reversal. And now many nations have assembled against you who say, let her be polluted. Let our eyes gloat over Zion. But they do not know. Notice, in a book written to the nations, see the function of verse 11? Nations, you think you're going to really capture, destroy Jerusalem, and this is going to be the end of all that God is doing? Got another thing coming. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, and they do not understand his purpose. For he has gathered them like sheaves to the threshing floor, Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. What does it mean to thresh? Yeah, how do you do that? Beat it. Any number of different ways you can have an animal walk over it. In, in India, uh, I haven't seen this in many years, but in India, when we used to drive between cities, there, 
we'd, we'd be driving along this two-lane highway. <laughs> this was it in those days. Drive along a two-lane highway, and there'd be grain laid out on the highway, and they wanted the cars to drive over it to break the holes from the grain. <laughs> That's threshing. So, huh? They'd eventually go scoop it up, and then and then they'd winnow it, get rid of the chaff, and then grind it up for uh, flour. So, so who's going to do the threshing? Who in verse eleven? Who thinks they're going to be threshing? The nations think they're going to thresh Israel, but in verse thirteen, who's doing the threshing? Yeah, Israel's going to thresh the nations. Uh, Arise and thresh, daughter of Zion, for your horn I will make iron, and your hoofs I will make bronze, that you may pulverize many peoples, that you may devote to the Lord their unjust gain and their wealth uh, to the Lord of all the earth. But somebody said just a few minutes ago, it's taken so long. Is this ever going to come to pass? And, And the answer of some of our brothers and sisters is, well, it's come to pass in the church that we are Israel and we are threshing the nations and we do it now not by warfare, we do it now by the preaching of the gospel. But the long delay of a promise does not mean the failure of the promise. Uh, The long delay of the coming of Jesus, are are you with me here? In you shall all the families of the nations, all all the families of the earth be blessed. Genesis 12.3 was said sometime around 2000 BC. And how long did it take for the one who would become the head of the seed to come? 2000 years? Yes? So the long delay is not an indication of the failure of the promise. It's an indication that God works on a different agenda than you and I do. My agenda is cut up into 15 minute segments. Because I don't have that much to do. Uh, uh, but um, God's agenda is cut up into thousand-year segments. So it's only been four days since Abraham. <laughs> On God's agenda. So a fourth. Is this fourth? Uh, the next. I've got to redo this outline. Um, the next... Shocking reversal, chapter 5, verse 1. Now muster your troops, yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. This is probably a, a, an address to Jerusalem itself. Uh, they have laid siege against us. So Jerusalem is called to get their troops together because a siege is coming. And in fact, as far as the, as the prophet is concerned, he's, he is, as it were, experiencing as he speaks the siege. They have laid, laid siege against us. With a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. Whoever the president of America is, doesn't matter who we're talking about at this point, how would you like to see an alien general, an, a, a, a foreign general, take the American president and beat him with rods on national television? Well, that's what we're talking about here. With a rod, they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. Shocking reversal. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephratah, uh, that's what this previous picture was about. You see, there, this is a, a um, 
mosaic in a church in Medeba in Jordan on the east bank of the Jordan River. And you see, it's all, unfortunately, it's in Greek, but here is Bethlehem. So B-E-T-H-L-E-E-M, Bethlehem. Here is the region of Ephrata. So Bethlehem is in a region of Judah called Ephrata, which means fruitful. Um, so, but, but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, uh, too little to be among the clans of Judah. O little town of Bethlehem, the church of the Holy Sepulchre, I'm sorry, that's in Jerusalem. The church of the Nativity probably sits on ancient Bethlehem. If you've been to Bethlehem, it's a fairly large town now, but back in biblical times, it was a tiny little village. And there are, there are caves under the church where uh, Jesus was probably born. Uh, I, I got to teach in one where Jerome translated part of the uh, Bible into, into Latin. It was really exciting to be that close to where Jesus was born and also where Jerome did his work. But the, the point is, Bethlehem is this little non... It's a no-place town. It's, it's the hickory with of Israel. You say, Hickory With? What are you talking about? Hickory With is a little town just outside of Memphis. Um, and Yeah, Hickory With, and, or Potts Camp, Mississippi, or some of you have heard of Potts Camp. Well, these are tiny little towns. Nobody ever comes from these places. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you will, come, uh, will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel, his goings forth were from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up. Another shocking reversal. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he, he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the, in the majesty of the name of the Lord is God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. The next shocking oive. The next shocking reversal, verse 5 continues, when the Assyrian invades our land, when he tramples on our citadels, then he will raise against him seven shepherds and eight leaders of men. They will, this, the Assyrians were the most powerful people of their day. It was, at the time of Micah, the largest empire that the Middle East had ever known. It was the largest, stretched from what is today Iran to Egypt. Are you with me? The, the Assyrians invaded Egypt, the only... The only people who, until the Romans, the only people who in, of the Middle East who in, invaded Egypt and conquered it. They were, they were unstoppable. When the Assyrian invades our land, when he tramples on our citadels, then he will raise against him seven shepherds and eight leaders of men. They will shepherd the land of Assyria with a sword. <laughs> you don't shepherd with swords. So what does this mean? Get in line. <coughs> Yes? <laughs> uh, uh, the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he will deliver us from the Assyrian when he attacks our land and when he tramples our territory. The first outcropping of this event in world history, 
of this word of God in world history was when God destroyed the army of of of, of um, Tiglath-Pileser at the, or Sennacherib at the uh, gates of Jerusalem. Another shocking <laughs> reversal. He's regathered Israel to scatter them again. Verse seven. Then the remnant of Jacob will be among many peoples, like dew from the Lord. Why is he scattering them now? He's scattering them to evangelize. Not to evangelize, to bless. To bring... um, We don't get it about do as much. Um, This is the kingdom, brother. The evangelism is not an issue now as such. The, The point of this, do is so important in Israel, they actually keep record of how much do distills each night uh, because they get so little rain that they, they have to keep track of everything and, and be very, very careful with it. Are, is, am I making sense to you? So so Israel's going to be like dew among the nations. They're going to bring the blessing of God everywhere they go. This time, they are, they are first, they are scattered in justice. They are scattered in wrath. They are scattered under curse. Now they are scattered, scattered under blessing. And just as judgment begins with Israel and goes out to the nation, blessings start with Israel and go out to the nation. So, so is this a reference to the 144,000 Jews during... I'm not sure what to do with 144,000. Um, I, I have ideas, but that would take me too far afield. So if I may. Uh, there is, so there will be like showers on vegetation which do not wait for man or delay the sons of men. The remnant of Jacob will be among the nations, among many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which if he passes through, <laughs> um, tramples down and tears, and there is none to rescue. Now they are going back out to the world to rule, to bring the rule of God to the nations. Not an evangelism. This is, a, this is in the kingdom. They are the royal people. As the royal people, they participate in the, in the ruling of the nations. Your hand will be lifted up against your adversaries, and all your enemies will be cut off. Sixth. Yes, sir. Pro- you know, it's, it's, it's got to be the millennial period. Um, and 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 probably also, yeah, yeah. It's probably also talking about the the eternal kingdom. So, um, verse ten, the sixth shocking reversal. It will be in that day, declares the Lord, that I will cut off your your horses from among you. In that day, if you lost your horses, you lost a crucial element of your military. I will destroy your chariots. I will also cut off the cities of your land, tear down all your fortifications. I will cut off sorceries from your land, from your hand, and you will have fortune tellers no more. I will cut off your carved images and your sacred pillars from among you, so that. Now notice, do you know what so that means in English? So you'll understand what I'm about to do, I guess. You, no, there's more than that. In order that, in technical, in, in, in uh, standard written English, in order that means purpose. So that means result. The result is going to be, verse, where did we stop there? Ah, verse 13. The result will be, you will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. 
I will root out your Asherim from among you, destroy your cities, and I will execute vengeance in anger and wrath on the nations. And remember, this is a book addressed to the nations, uh, which have not obeyed. So, so we come through this rather amazing passage on shocking reversals. And we've got 15 minutes left and two chapters. Let's go do it. Chapter 6 and 7. Uh, uh, 6 is an indictment against Israel. God takes them to court. He gives evidence. And he pleads with them. Uh, so in 6, 1 to 7, 6, the Lord brings covenant lawsuit pleading with Israel since disloyalty fills the land to respond in justice, kindness, and humility to him because of his own faithfulness. The passage begins, uh, hear now what the Lord is saying. Arise, plead your case. Come, come to the court, Israel. Give me your testimony. Let me hear your point of view. Um, plead your case before the mountains. The mountains, the earth, the sky are the witnesses of the covenant that Moses called the witness against Israel in their covenant-making ceremony in the plains of Moab. And now he wants them to call the mountains to testify. How, how do mountains testify? Because it's the earth and the sky that God is going to use to judge Israel. And when they sin, he uses the earth and the sky to judge them. So the sky doesn't give rain. You see the point? The, the land it becomes barren. So you call the witnesses. See what they say. Listen, you mountains, to the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the, of the earth because the Lord has a case against his people. Even with Israel, he will, uh, he will dispute. My people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Answer me. And a quick treatment of this, go down to verse 6. They, they seem to respond in verses 6 to 8. Well, what do you want? So they say, with what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come to him? What do you want? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings and yearling calves? What are you looking for? What do you want of us? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn? For, the, for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? And God's response, here the prophet, rather, responds and tells them, this is what the Lord's looking for. He has told you, O man, what's good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? To love, in my text, this kindness, one of the most important words in the Old Testament, chesed, and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, this could be read to walk circumspectly with your God, and it's not clear to my mind. It's it's a well. I'll explain it here shortly. It's not mine uh, clear to me which way is the proper way to go. Traditionally, we've translated humbly, but circumspectly. Howard Hendricks said, uh, in, he grew up in Philadelphia, and they had uh, uh, brick walls sh separating yards back in those days, and he said uh, they put cement. Uh, 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 on top and put shards of glass and uh, in the top so people wouldn't climb over. And he said, if you've ever wa watched a cat walk on the top of one of those fences, you know what it means to walk circumspectly. <laughs> very carefully. You're looking where you're going. You're taking your steps very carefully. And it could be either 
maintaining a humil- a, a, an attitude of humility before God or being very circumspect in the way you work before God. And it's not clear to me what, how I should read this. But this is his answer. What have they done in verses 9 and following? He gives, he gives first some more evidence. The voice of the Lord will call to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear, O tribe, what, who has appointed its time? Is there yet a man in the wicked house along with the treasures of wickedness? And a short measure that is cursed, that is, the, the, the merchants have two different sets of weights. Uh, can I justify wicked scales and a bag of deceptive weights? For the rich men of the city are full of violence. Her residents speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. So also I will make you sick, striking you down. Here's the verdict upon them. Verse 16. The statutes of Omri. Omri is the father of King Ahab, king of the northern kingdom. And uh, Omri and Ahab brought open, crass idolatry into northern kingdom. The statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab are observed, and in their devices you walk, Jerusalem. Therefore I will give you up for destruction and your inhabitants for derision, and you will bear the reproach of my people. The prophet now responds in chapter 7, 1 to 6, woe is me. And I think he's responding in the voice uh, as the representative of all Israel. Woe is me, for I am like the the fruit pickers, like the grape gatherers. There's not a cluster of grapes to eat or a first ripe fig, which I crave. The godly person has perished from the land. All of them lie in wait for bloodshed. Each of them hunts the other with a net. Going on down to chapter 7, verse 7. Now, um, uh, go on down there. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Ah, here we go. 7 7 is a kind of pivot verse. As for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. What, what do you have to expect? Who is he? Um, I suspect it's still the prophet who's speaking on behalf of the people. What, what do they have to expect? Except judgment still. What they have to expect is that God has not changed. What they have to expect is that God, who made a covenant with Abraham and swore an oath to fulfill it to his descendants, what they have to expect is that God's going to keep his promises. That's what you and I have to expect, too. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Remember, this book is written to the nations. Do not rejoice over me, my O oh, my enemy, though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes judgment justice for me. He will bring me out to the light and I will see his righteousness. When God brings you into the hardest times you can imagine, He hasn't abandoned you. 
when he brings you out into the most terrible events you can imagine, he has not abandoned you. He has made promises. He will be your advocate. When all around you oppose you, when your, your friends, your family have abandoned you, when they are your enemies, God has not abandoned you. He has made promises. He will keep them. Problem is, I want them kept according to my schedule, and I want them kept the way I want them kept. He will keep them in a much better way. So, then my enemy, verse 10, then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look on her at that time and she will be trampled down. The, the, her, the, the, the nations are daughters. And so he's probably talking about the nations who have been enemies of Israel and have set out to destroy them. My eyes will look on her at that time. She will be trampled down like mire in the streets. It will be a day for building your walls. On that day, will your boundary be extended? Now, now, no longer will Judah be a very small territory left around the city with just a few fields around the city. It will, it will not even be the larger allotment given to the, to the tribe of Judah in the conquest. It will be worldwide rule. Um, it will be a day, verse 12, when they, when they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, from Egypt even to the Euphrates, even from sea to sea and mountain to mountain. Now, not just pilgrims of dispersed Israel coming to Jerusalem to, cel to celebrate and worship, but all the nations coming. And the earth will become desolate because of her inhabitants on account of the fruit of their deeds. Verse 14 Shepherd your people with your scepter, the flock of your possession, which dwells by itself in the woodland in the midst of a fruitful field. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. Note here, they look back to the past because the past is a model and a promise of what he will do in the future. Though he's too creative to do the same thing the same way twice. Um, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show you miracles. Nations will see and be ashamed of all their might. Fascinating idea there. Just this one comment I want to make in verse 15. Did God literally bring Israel out of Egypt? Yes. Then he must also literally bring all the nations to worship Israel. Notice as in the days of old, as in the days when you came up out of the land of Egypt, I will show you miracles. Nations will see and be ashamed of all their might. They will put their hand on their mouth. Their ears will be deaf. Everyone who's trying to oust Israel from the, from the family of nations, they will lick the dust like serpents, like a serpent, like reptiles of the earth. They will come trembling out of their fortresses to the Lord our God. They will come in dread. Verse 18, finally, now, um, verses 18 to 20. Who is like you? Um, who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. That's that same word kindness we had back in 6.8. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities under our foot. 
Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You will give the uh, truth to Jacob, unchanging, there it is again, unchanging love to Abraham, which you swore to our fathers from the days of old. Nations, America, be careful. If God judges Israel, and he has, he's going to judge us. When he judges Israel, he will make Israel judges of the nations. And if Israel, with its history of rebellion, has hope before God, what do you and I have? Doesn't matter how bad things get. Uh, let me show you one last verse and we'll quit. Turn, Turn to Romans. <laughs> eight, Romans 8, 26. It, this is absolutely opposite to what we're dealing with here. Romans 8, 26. Uh, 26 is wrong. Um, uh, no, it's, it's, let's see, that's Romans 9. Let's see, 8, 26. I'll get there in a minute. Just give me a minute. Give me a chance here. Verse thirty-five. It is. Yeah, I know. Who? My text. No, verse thirty-five. Romans eight thirty-five. Uh, my text says who. I think because of the context, it should read what will separate us from the love of Christ. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Under the Mosaic Covenant, these are the curses of the covenant. They appear in Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26 as the judgment that God's going to bring against Israel when they break the covenant. But we're, notice this chapter begins, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes? Right? Right. See, I have a doctorate from Dallas Seminary and know great and wise things most people don't know. Verse 35 is in chapter 8 along with verse 1. Are you with me? And if there's no condemnation, then these can no longer be curses of the covenant. But they are things we should expect. Are you with me? Uh, first of Second uh, Timothy three twelve. Just make a note for yourself to look that up. Second Timothy three twelve. These are things we are to, to expect. But these are the things that are intended to make us like Jesus. We have hope. If Israel has hope, all the more do we. And I may take hope from the fact that Israel has hope. If Israel doesn't, if they have forfeited their place in the plan of God and their promises that God has made to them on oath, then I don't have any reason to believe that God won't take the same thing away from me. But if he's going to be faithful to Israel... And I can be really confident because of the work of Jesus and the indwelling Holy Spirit that he will be faithful to me as well. Yes, ma'am. Do you think we can relate uh, aliens coming into our country today to this story? It's after 12 and you ask this question. Don't ask this question after 12. <laughs> Let's uh, close with prayer. Father, um, you don't intend our life in a sinful world to be easy and comfortable. 
You intend it to be a life to make us like Christ so that it will be clear and evident that everything that's good in us is from your grace. Nothing that's good in us comes from us ourselves. It's all your work. So, Father, give us the kind of hope that Micah is holding out for ancient Israel, that even they have hope before you, then let us cling in confidence to a God who promises and takes 4,000 years to fulfill them. And then the, the few years of my life won't be time of despair and hopelessness. It'll be a time of great hope and confidence because our great God has redeemed us by the blood of the Lamb. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.